0: Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God— and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes, so each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. If you've been keeping up with my Instagram stories recently, you know that I have been determined to become a better cook. Part of that is learning the importance of using quality ingredients. I was thrilled when I learned about McAvoy olive oils, which are sustainably produced on a Northern California ranch. I love using extra virgin olive oil in my cooking because it averages a smoke point of 405 degrees Fahrenheit, which is high enough for most cooking methods. It also has high oxidative stability, which I now just learned about. It means it contains compounds that prevent the oil from deteriorating when exposed to heat during the cooking process. Pretty cool, right? I love using their extra virgin olive oil for a more robust and flavored taste. But when I'm looking to cook with a healthy oil and want the flavors of my food to shine through, I turn to their extra virgin cooking olive oil. I know my next purchase is going to be the organic lemon olive oil and the garlic olive oil because how good does that sound? Plus, McAvoy is female founded and female led. And you know, you know, I love supporting women led businesses. Go to McAvoyRanch.com and use Refined 15. For 15% off your order. That's ranch.com and use your code Refine15 for 15% off. Welcome to the Refine Collective podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for listening. If you're on Patreon, thank you for watching. You are in for what I know is going to be a really great conversation. I have my buddy, Mike Mayashiro here with us today. He was on the podcast a few years ago. We'll link it in the show notes below, which it honestly seems like a different lifetime ago. He and I are different people than we were a few years ago, but a little bit about who he is before we get into what we'll be talking about Mike is the founder of NUMA, an organization that supports people in deconstruction, spirituality, and faith. Mike is gay, an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, and a queer theology enthusiast. He is a life coach, speaker, and thought leader. And why I wanted to have him on the show, aside the fact that he's been such a kindred spirit in this season of my life, is I... Really wanted to give space for him to share his story. He was at Bethel Church for many years on staff, went through their ministry school, came out as a gay man publicly a little over a year ago. And so it's been on a really wild ride. And so, a few things we're going to hit on in our conversation is what is B Side Theology? Why does he still believe in God as a gay person? What beliefs helped him stay in the closet for so long? And really, just generally, his story. So, Mike, I'm so grateful to have you. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to be so open about who you are and the journey you're on and the process you're on. And I'm grateful for your friendship. And yeah, it's yeah. good to have
1: you. Thank you, Kat. It's good to be here. I'm also yeah. grateful for your friendship, agreed, a kindred, kindred spirit, especially in this last couple of years of our lives. Yes. You're right. The, that podcast episode you referenced when I was first on here, we were different people. I yeah. definitely was somebody else back then. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm like, please don't share that episode. I'm just kidding. You totally <laughs> can, but... Man, yeah, the, just like the level of change that's happened in such, mm-hmm. such a short period of time is like is wild. And I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I even remember in that conversation, and we've talked about this a couple of times, but I feel like I was like, like trying to put some breadcrumbs out because I wasn't <laughs> quote unquote out with being affirming of the LGBTQ plus community publicly at that point. And you obviously were still in the closet at that point, but it was like, I knew like, I knew that we were probably way more progressive than both of us were letting on. And I, but I I couldn't figure out how to start a conversation about that. So I feel like I'd like drop these like hankies and hints to be like, I wonder if he's, will he pick up on it? Like, do you remember that?
1: Yes, for sure. (laughs) Several. Like, yeah, that's happened a few times for sure. And I've, I've been like, okay, I see you, cat. Okay, you know, just feeling it out. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that you've been a lot more like invitational, and I've just kind of been slower to the uptake mostly because I'm just not, you know, I'm still like not sure of how much to share and all that, you know, because I just experienced a lot of people kind of recoiling from a lot really? of stuff. So I'm trying to like pace myself, but yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So I would love just to open up the conversation as much as you want to share about your story. Yeah. What what was it like being you growing up as a gay man, a, a gay child, <laughs> yeah. a gay boy in the church? And yeah, yeah, someone whose faith is super important to you, yeah. who was also in a very conservative, non-affirming church for a lot of years.
1: Yeah. I'd love to like, hear yeah. about
0: that story and how you got to where you are today.
1: Totally. Thanks for asking. Uh, so I got saved when I was four, um, Baptist Church. First time I went to Sunday school, I was told about hell, heaven, salvation, forgiveness, sin, all the things. It was a lot. And I actually at this point, on a pretty conservative like statement, I would say what I was introduced to at that Sunday school would I would consider child abuse. I think it's um unethical to be talking to children about those things at that age without their parents around, with you know, like there wasn't anyway. Uh it was terrifying the whole idea of hell and eternity and trying to conceive of existing an endless endlessly um tormented you know like was like a terrifying prospect and the only way to not do that is to invite Jesus into your heart so I'm like okay so we're gonna invite this little ghost to come live inside of us was kind of me conceiving of what it meant to accept Jesus but I did that I chose it because I mean obviously my environment was pretty coercive and insistent that this is what should be done but anyway did that grew up in private school Uh, went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like regularly for years, um, faithfully, and became a really good Christian kid. And I was 10 years old in the bathroom by myself when I first, for the the, the first time, consciously realized, oh, the thing we call gay in our culture, the thing that, you know, those people that are going to hell that are abominations that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for, like, I'm one of those people. I'm gay. Oh, shoot. And it was terrifying to think about, right? I didn't want to admit that. I didn't want to face that like the consequences of what it meant to be a gay person in my world Um, so i just shoved that deep down somewhere and i just accepted the burden of living a double life and holding a secret forever and wondered like would i end up marrying a woman and be unhappy and just kind of like fake it and that's the best i can do like i didn't ever consider an alternative like maybe i'll be single i didn't really have an answer so i just ignored it my best solution for that was just to shove it away and avoid it um and then when i was in middle school And early high school, my best friend at the time, uh, he and I fooled around sexually for like two and a half years and never talked about it, didn't tell anybody. It was just like this thing, you know, behind closed doors. And I had so much shame and like self-hatred and like fear and, you know, just like, really heavy negative stuff. And eventually I ended up having to just like not have him in my life. I kind of cut him out and found different friends and just busied myself with other things. Um, We didn't have like a falling out. It wasn't like an ugly, you know, fight or anything. It was just like, conveniently, we drifted apart. Anyway, um, when I was 18 is when the story really starts to take a consequential turn. Again, I was raised Baptist. Um, In high school, I was going to a non-denominational church, but pretty conservative evangelical right and like pretty unemotional too i would say it was a pretty intellectual and academically driven space we valued you know right doctrine right theology right thinking and one sunday morning somebody in the college age sunday school shared a testimony of a gay guy playing the role of a of the main lead in a christian film edge of the spear tip of the spear or something Uh, it was about jim elliott's life And she was just sharing how this guy was gay. And he came out to the the team and they all prayed and felt like God wanted him to play the role. And that's all she shared. And it was so awkward. And everyone in the room didn't know what to do with what she was sharing. And I knew this woman was a lesbian, but she was supposedly ex-gay at that point. I didn't believe that. But anyway, I ignored the whole thing. Just kind of tried to keep my distance from that moment. And then when I got to the adult service, I was a mess. We were singing the normal worship songs we sing every Sunday. But this time, like I couldn't protect myself from God is the way that I would describe this. Now I understand, Kat, I know your audience is deconstructing, right? And I have heavily deconstructed. My audience is in that space too. I understand some of the language I'm going to use right now may be problematic for some of you. And I want you all fully to have permission from me to throw away whatever I say or reinterpret it however it means to make sense for you. Like that's totally fine. I'm not committed to my verbiage here. What I do want to clarify though is that I had a radical experience, the empirical nature of it, I can't tell you. I don't know. Cause you know, I, it was such a subjective experience, but for me and the way I interpreted this, I would say my language to this day. Cause I don't, I don't have better verbiage right now is that I encountered God. I met God for the first time is like how I'd say that it was devastating. It was so emotional. I felt deeply exposed and vulnerable and like Happened to, I guess I would say. Um, And I think the takeaway from that first experience was that God knew me. God loved me. God saw me. God cared about me, not humanity. Like Mike, I was individually, intimately met and seen by God, which was so humbling and something I could not explain to people. I did not have the verbiage or the framework to be able to communicate anything I was experiencing there effectively to anybody. Um, and then like eight months later, it happened again. And I thought the first time was the only time it would happen. I thought it was like one of those things where it's like, this is a once in a lifetime situation that happens to some people. And I was one of the lucky people who had happened to, that was crazy. Eight months later, it happened again, even, but this time it was even more dramatic. It was at a college group I was going to on Friday nights and to save, uh, uh time. I'm basically just going to say, like, I was praying and asking God to fix my sexuality, to make me straight, to heal me, right. To, to get me to like girls that night was what my, the cry of my heart was. Mm. And when I got on my knees at my chair during the altar call worship set at the end of the service, that was my prayer. Like you can make me clean, right? And then I had another, even more dramatic experience- Um, and essentially God told me, I want this to remain. I want you to be like this. Mm. And I was not expecting God to say that to me. I knew God wasn't allowed to say that to me. That was unbiblical. It was unchristian. You know, it was all these bad things. And yet it was very clear this was God and this is what they were saying to me. And it was like the most loved and seen and and connected to I'd ever felt with God. It changed my life. Like, Mm. The, the fear of God, the, sorry, like the fear of like being rejected by God or judged by God or whatever disappeared. I was very held and like accepted and embraced by God. And not just in general, like specifically in my queer identity, God saw me, met me there and defended that place. And I was like, I don't know what to do with that. So I didn't tell anybody this happened. I knew people, Christians would not believe me. <laughs> and then non-Christians also wouldn't believe me. So it was like, who's I going to tell? Right. And then that experience over the next 14 years happened like six more times in different ways, some in varying degrees of intensity. Shortly after that, though, like I had a six month window where I was just constantly sensitive to what I would describe as the spirit of God. I was just sensitive to the nature of God. I could say, you know, to the nature of love. I was just very exposed and available to love. And I cried constantly. It was physically exhausting how much I was crying in that Season of my life. And it changed me. It changed the way that I perceived people. It changed what I understood love meant and how we embody that. And, you know, anyway, so fast forward, I went to Redding, California, (laughs) went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. I did first and second year there. A little side note, I got kicked out of second year on the last day of school because I was gay. And that's a really dramatic statement, but it's 100% factual. And then a couple months later, I came back to the leadership who kicked me out and was like, what happened here? And they apologized and cleaned it up. Because as far as my performance was concerned, I was asexual. I was celibate. I I was like, there was not a sexual or romantic thing happening in my life.
0: So can you unpack then what happened?
1: Yeah, sure. Like, I mean,
0: I feel like that at least (laughs) I know the details because I know more of your story, but it feels like a pretty big detail and I don't want to like glass over it because it's also like a a pretty big, what's, I don't know, I don't know if like, accusation is the right word but it's you know it's a big thing for yeah. you you it's you moved across country you paid to be a part of right it's yeah. it's a paid program yeah. did you come did you like not complete your exams did you like not turn in your homework or like <laughs> also it also sounds like you were pretty closeted like you said you've had these two really in amazing, life-changing encounters with the spirit of God, spirit of love. But it sounds like you kept a lot of that to yourself. So yeah. tell me more about, yeah, the breakdown there. What happened?
1: Uh, so I had a close friend in school. She was like seven years older than me, I think, who I kind of saw as a mentor, but we were friends. I think in hindsight, she actually like had feelings for me and wanted more there. And you know, a couple months into our friendship, I came out to her basically, but not like, Hey, I'm gay. It was like, Hey, here's what happened in my past. Here's something I've struggled with before, you know? So anyway, I had, I asked her, she would like, sozo me, like do inner healing ministry on me. And she did and nothing happened. But a few times she like tried to pressure me to respond to like homosexual altar calls at services at Bethel, like stand up. If you struggle with the same sex attractions, so we can pray for you and God will deliver you. And you know, it's like this, public, you know, and I just wasn't, I never felt safe. never felt interested in participating in any of that, you know? Um, and she like judged me for it and got really mad at me, like explicitly a few times for like being a coward or for like partnering with sin in my life or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, you know, so we wrestled through that and I had trouble advocating for myself back then. You know, like I was Mm -hmm. still so, I mean, I was young, but also like my self image and my fear of authority were so in such a poor place being such a good Christian kid that, you know, I didn't know how to recognize when I was being violated or abused or like steamrolled. Right. In some ways. So anyway, toward the end of second year, one of, she and I stopped being friends. Like I told her halfway through our second year program, like I need space. Um, I need to not be around you right now, you know, whatever. Uh, and she was respectful about that. But then like we had a bunch of mutual friends obviously. And so somebody said to her, that she thought I had a crush on her. Sorry, our mutual friend thought that I had a crush on our mutual friend. And she said that to this person. And she knew, my friend knew I, that wasn't true because like I'm not attracted to women, right? <laughs> <laughs> so and she confronted me like probably a week before school was gonna end and she's like, hey, I'm tired of defending, of like pretending like I don't know any better. I'm tired of like lying for you. Like you need to address this. You need to like clarify things with our friends because if you don't, I will. And I was like, wow, I don't think this is any of your business. I don't think that's your place. Thanks for telling me. Like, obviously, I'm expecting you're going to do whatever you think is right. But I don't think that's any of your business. And I think this is that's on me. And I get to work out when that's going to happen or what that's going to look like. And Mm. she left. And I had, like, these tears just, like, come out of my face after she left. I went and laid down and just tears. And I I didn't know what I was feeling. Like, it was like my, you know, like, the narrative over my life was being taken from me. And the result of it was going to be, like, I'm being lit on fire or I hanged publicly or whatever. It was like, I was going to die on some level socially. So it was like this weird breaking point by myself. And it was weird because it was like devastating, but also like liberating at the same time. So I was confused at this like dual experience a week later. Sorry. A couple of days later, my pastor pulled me into his office. I tried to meet with him three times that year to talk to him about this stuff, but he never responded to my emails or texts. So I just kind of assumed he was too busy and just like decided that, okay, I'll, just try and get that figured out somewhere else so like a few days before school's over he pulls me into his office and was like hey i just want to check in you've seen feels like you've been in a hidden season how's the year going i was like that's going fine you know he's like so are you dating anybody i was like no uh he's like why not i was like um i just i don't really feel like i'm in a place to be dating anyone right now actually that's something i wanted to talk to you about you know at some point in this year so if you have time and if you have some time i'd love to sit down and actually like have a conversation with you about that part of my life. He was like, yeah, okay, whatever. We moved on. And then literally the last day of school, um, I'm in line to go get knighted by Bill Johnson and Chris Valton, right? Like that's part of the, like a ceremony that happens, but before graduation, I get a text from my pastor. He's like, Hey, are you here today? I need to talk to you right now. I was like, yeah, I'm about to get knighted. He's like, find me afterward. I was like, okay, this is so weird to be all of a sudden this guy's super communicative. I've been trying to connect with them all year and just, you know, he's been aloof and distant. So I'm like, oh, this is probably not good. I get knighted. My friends and I are like going through the fire tunnel. And then he grabs me at the end of the fire tunnel and takes me upstairs to essentially the principal's office. The guy who's in charge of second year sits me down in the office. which is the two of us. And he's like, so I've been hearing disturbing reports about you, Mike. And I was like, what? And I'm, at that point, I'm like, okay, did I not, did I not turn in a homework assignment? Did I, did I forget a book report? Like, what is he talking about? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I think you know what I'm talking about. Like, I remember this conversation, you know, vividly. And I was like, oh God, what? And he like has this weird grave look. Like, I don't know this person and he doesn't know me. And we're having a very different experience all of a sudden. So I'm like, oh, this is like, what is this? And I'm like racking my brain. Like, okay, what happened? What did I do? And then thankfully, randomly, my friend, the girl I've been talking about, you know, like comes to my mind. And I, that conversation we had a week prior, I was like, oh my God, she outed me. She told somebody mm-hmm. something, right? That's probably what this is. I was like, Does this has to do with so-and-so. He was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, okay, so then I basically, out of terror and fear, just, like, started confessing what happened when I was in middle school with this dude, which was, like, 10 years ago, right, I'm like, yeah, I fooled around with my best friend, you know, like, it was, whatever, Um, and his response to me sharing that was, like, well, Mike, you can see how it feels like you've been lying to me all year, and I was like, what, and I'm now, like, trying to figure out, like, how do I disagree with that accusation without coming across... As an orphan as rebellious as offended right these are like stigma things in bethel's environment that if you exhibit these traits you are invalidated your voice your opinion doesn't matter you're offended you're coming at this from an orphan spirit you're a victim right like so i'm like how do i respond to this without exhibiting any of those traits and i'm like wow i'm sorry if it comes across that way that definitely was not my intention um he's like i'm gonna have to talk to leadership about this can you hang around for a little bit i was like okay I hung around 40 minutes. He texts me back. I come back to the office and the guy who's in charge of second year is in the room too. And I'd never met this person before, but I knew who he was obviously because of him being on stage and stuff. So like, oh my God, what is happening? This is crazy. And I'm like, this is humiliating. This is the first time I'm meeting this person in this context. So I sit down and my pastor tries to like explain, he's kind of fumbling. Like, I'm not sure what he's saying. He's like, ah, uh, you know, like, you know, we're trying to like figure out what to do here, whatever. And then the other guy, the head of all of second year steps in, because I think he can tell this guy's having trouble. He's like, Hey Mike here's the deal. We have two requirements that we're expecting from our students in second year. One is obviously the academic side, which you pass with flying colors. The other side is the character side of this. We train our students to represent themselves and seek after the needs that they have and like go find the answers and support that they need. Obviously you haven't done that here. So because of how you've behaved this year, we don't feel like we can graduate you. And I was like, Oh, I'm not graduating. Cause the ceremony was in like five hours. And I was like, Whoa, Oh my, this is a, okay, let's catch up Mike. Like you're clearly like not on the same page. Um, so it was shocking. I think I blacked out a little bit. I said things, but I like kind of was dis disembodied at that point. Just like, anyway, um, I was like, wow. Okay. Uh, I respect your decision. What can I do? How do I don't want to just like disappear? He's like, they're like, yeah, we love you. We care about you. We want to walk you through this process. We want to see you whole. Um, you know, here's some things we want to see you, you see happen. Um, so I got some mandatory sozo's, which is like, you know, Bethel's form of inner healing, um, with a specific sozo person. I had to join the men's sexual purity group. Um, I found a counselor, a Christian counselor, a couple of different ones, actually from the environment who were going to help me through that. Anyway, it was this whole journey I got to go on.
0: And then and a couple those of are the years, requirements.
1: Yeah, in Goals. order for me to, like, reapproach possibly being involved, involved with Bethel in any, like, contributing capacity again. Um, with the
0: goal that you would have heterosexual attraction, that was the goal? Or what's the goal here?
1: Good question. And I should have asked that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the goal was that I would stop acting on my same-sex attraction. Um, the problem is nobody asked me what I was doing at that point in my life. Nobody asked me what I was experiencing or what was going on. I did all the confessing and then I got a sentence. There was not Mm -hmm. a dialogue, right? Um, so I think the goal was we got to get you to stop having sex with guys. I think that was the goal. Mm -hmm. The awkward irony of this was I was having sex with no one. There was no sex happening in my life. Um, like I wasn't even looking at porn or like masturbating. Like that wasn't happening, which I know isn't normal, but like I had so... Anyway, like I'm kind of looking back at that time I'm like, dude, what did you do? Like how could you do that to your – anyway, um, a couple months later – How could you
0: do that to yourself or how yeah. could no, – How
1: could I do that to myself? Yeah. How could you get to a point in your life where you are so detached from your own humanity that you like literally don't even have – it's not like I didn't have a sex drive, but it was so on lockdown that it was like an exception or a hiccup or like a, a involuntary burp or something, you know? like. Yeah when it's, that's something that's so beautiful and natural and like something that, sh- so I just look at the contrast of values. And I'm like, damn, yeah. that was sad.
0: Well, I mean, also to validate the experience of, I mean, I hear that part of your story and I'm like, well, of course, like, and obviously I, you know, I am attracted to men. And so I, I, I don't know your situation at all. I do know what it's like to be in church culture and to have sexual desire demonized until you get married. Right. Until yeah. that magical day when a man and woman gets married and then you turn on the sexual desire. Yeah. I grew up masturbating. My <laughs> mom really normalized it in our house. It was like, go, oh, if you want to go play with yourself, just do it in your room.
1: Wow. <laughs> you know, Amazing. Yeah.
0: But then I became a Christian at 16 <laughs> and it was, I I was horrified. I was horrified because I then learned about sexual purity, safe sex until marriage, which the safe sex until marriage wasn't news to me. My parents taught that principle, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But what I learned was that self-pleasure is 100% a sin. And it's it was even more mortifying for me because it was always talked about from the male perspective at church. Mm. And so it was like, well, guys, we know this is a struggle for you and this is always wrong all the time, period, the end. And I thought I must be doubly sinful if I am touching myself. So I didn't masturbate or touch myself for almost 12 years. Like nothing, like I shut it down. I mean, I was completely shut down to my sexual desire, sexuality, because it becomes a life or death. Right. Mm-hmm. Because essentially what you were told, what I was told in a, a, a very different way, because I at least had the hope of marriage one day. You didn't. Yeah. If, if being I gay had the threat is wrong. Of marriage, yeah. Right. And, and so for you, it's like, do I choose sexuality or hell or an mm. eternity separated <laughs> from God? And so when I hear, when I am experiencing you talking, I, I experience you almost like upset at yourself or like, how could I have been so disassociated. And I'm like, how could you have not? Mm. This was literally your eternity at stake. And that was the story that you were told. And so Mm. your pastors who are acting as a voice box for God are telling you you're out of character when I'm like, for something that happened 12 years ago, does everyone at the ministry school have to say what they did in middle school Mm. to be an integrity and to have character. Really? (laughs) I mean, I mean, it sounds like you were in a place where it was life or death for you. So of course you abided because if that's the game you've opted into, how could you have chosen any other way?
1: Mm. Totally. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, True. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's just like sad to remember or like to learn better and then look back at how you behaved or how you thought. And you're like, what? Like, I don't even know that person. What was happening then? But like, yeah, it was a different world. Totally. So like a couple months went by and I had a couple of friends who were like, why didn't you graduate? I'm like, really? We've had this conversation. Like, no, no, no. I get the story. But why didn't you graduate? I'm like, what do you mean? Like something's off. Like we're missing something here. Like they don't know something. Something's not right. Like you need to talk to them about this. And I was like, oh, What do you want me? To? Anyway, one of them, one of my friends, threatened to like, Mike, if you don't talk to them, I'm going to. And I'm like, Oh God, stop! I, I'll talk to them. Gee. So I started the process of talking to different leaders and how do I approach this? And eventually got to the guy who kicked me out of school. I sent him an email, and he wrote back like within half an hour and was like, Mike, I'm so sorry. I had my wife read this email, and she looked at me and she said, You're an idiot. How can I make this right? Please come to my office, whatever. So I went to his office. He's like, How can I make this right? This was my fault. I, you know, whatever. Um, I was like, Well, I'd like my diploma. He's like, Great, what else? I was like, I mean, I, w- I was gonna intern and then I gave up my internship because I got kicked out of school. So, like, is there a way for me to intern again? And you know, there wasn't an opportunity for that. Um, anyway, he tried to make good on what happened. I think I didn't find out until a couple years later after I was working at Bethel for a while, and like talked to some other people who had like heard wind of what happened around me in second year. <laughs> God. Um, and basically it sounds like they thought. Like, rumors had spread that I was like living a double lifestyle, that I was sleeping around a bunch of guys and then pretending to be this like upstanding ministry school student. Um, no one, not one person asked me about any of that. There was not a curious question, not an opportunity to clarify anything like that, you know? So, my admission of guilt about middle school, which was my problem, right? Like, I was so bent out of shape about that, that they just assumed I just, you know, anyway, there was a lot of assumption and then a lot of costs that came with that. So the irony of this is actually because of this guy kicking me out of school, uh, he and I ended up having an ongoing connection, um, cause I wanted to volunteer and I think he felt bad. So he just kept giving me opportunities to volunteer in the ministry school. I wanted to give back to the space that had so impacted my life. Um, to the point where eventually I had volunteered for like three years or something. I was like, Hey, can we talk? Like, he's like, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I'd like to do more. He's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to volunteer again? I was like, no, I don't want to do that again. He's like, what do you want to do? If you can do anything, what would you want to do? I was like, I'd want to, I'd want to teach. He's like, what would you want to teach? I was like, well, probably a roommate's class. Cause like, listen, we need help with that. Um, and probably a class on discernment. He's like, great. Write up a syllabus. Send it to me. I'll look at it. I was like, great. Um, and then I started teaching in the school and then, you know, my class blew up and people were very interested in and then I started start traveling and speaking and taking interns and leading mission trips and all the things, um, that all a big part of that happened because I got kicked out of school. Like the irony is like hilarious. Fast forward. My class became like the number one sought after advanced ministry training course when I was teaching. I didn't know that until like the people running the stats, like showed them to me and I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. And then I found out that my internship was like number three of all the mentorship Uh, internships available that was like the the third most sought after internship I was like what is happening that's I mean I'm flattered and then also while that was happening leadership was becoming more and more twitchy about me um, because I wasn't working for Bethel at that point I had built a couple of side hustles and like to the point where I didn't need my full-time job at Bethel so I walked away from my office job and just started doing my own thing Um, I was still single I think that was a big like crime of mine was that I hadn't gotten married so clearly Mm -hmm. like my sexuality wasn't changing or whatever. Um, again, still like very celibate, very not sexual, but anyway, eventually I had another string of experiences with, I would say the Holy spirit, um, that compelled me to have to come out. Like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep being in the closet and not just because of how it's negatively impacting me, But because of the other queer people in this environment that are being harmed by what we're doing, what we're saying, the way we're treating them, I'm one of those people and I'm getting away with this because I'm hiding and I'm benefiting from this whole system and platform and whatever. And so I had this whole like crisis, not crisis of faith, but like crisis of of morals, right? Like, what am I doing? How can I almost like, anyway, I could use a lot of extreme examples, but um, yeah, it was like really difficult to sleep at night metaphorically knowing how illegal I was in the environment I was in and continuing to receive accolade and benefit and income from what I was doing. Um, I wasn't ever overtly preaching against gay people, but I was absolutely part of and platformed by an institution that did. So I came out to some leaders first and people around me and whatever. And like none of the conversations with any of the leaders that I came out to went well. (laughs)
0: can i ask you a question or is it helpful for me to wait until the end no go ahead so when you say you were coming out yeah from what you've shared what i'm hearing is that people already knew that you were we'll use the christian language you were same-sex attracted and so is this where like the side b theology kind of comes in because it sounds like okay you know, there's like the Christian theology that's like, you know, just gayness in itself is just a sin. And then there's the Christian theology that I I kind of morphed into from like the Hill songs and the C3s and the very evangelical movement in America where it's like love the sin, hate the sinner. And so as long as you're staying celibate, be loud and proud about your gayness, but no. you have to be celibate. Right. And so it sounds like you were staying celibate. So my question is then in that environment with Bethel, what's the crime? And then part two to that is you coming out. Was that then you saying, hey, I just want you guys all to know I'm gay, but I'm choosing celibacy so that I am in alignment with the theology here? Or was it like, hey, I am. Were you at the point where you're like, I'm gay and I don't believe it's a sin and I think we're reading the scriptures wrong? Like what part of the story were you at then?
1: Yeah. At that point, the people I had come out to, me coming out to them was, so just to clarify, the side B stance is not Bethel's stance. Bethel's stance is what they would call side X, which means being gay is a sin is wrong, is not an identity. It's not a part of who you are. It's not a sexual orientation. It's brokenness. It's perversion. It's sin. It's sin nature, like having its way and you giving in. So at Bethel, to be acknowledging same-sex attraction and still be in good standing is to acknowledge I have this problem that I am actively, the, the tense that's put on it, at least when I was still there, was I am actively doing things to improve, to fix, to address, to look after, to get my needs met, to correct this problem that I have. To then become
0: heterosexual, to become
1: straight, yeah, ultimately, you know, you're healing and you have like come through it. When you finally start cultivating an attraction to the opposite sex, and you start moving toward them in relationship, and you start like building intimacy with a woman, in my case, right, and yeah.
0: So then, this is conversion therapy. Yes, that's what that's what yes, that's what's going on there.
1: Yeah, and they wouldn't say that. Like they actually do. They go out of their way to communicate. We are not doing conversion therapy things on anyone. Um. They try to sound like they are empathetic and compassionate toward queer people, but helping reorient their understanding so they can rightfully respond to sin in their life. It's conversion therapy, repackaged and rebranded and Bethel spin, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I'm coming out in the Bethel space, you have to realize like we had just gone through a pandemic. It was still not, like by the time I left, they weren't normal. Like we weren't meeting normally yet. It was Mm -hmm. still like we were clawing out of our, our way out of the pandemic. So there was no normal by the time I came out for me to like experience Bethel as a normal culture. I had moved away by the time, you know, normalcy would have returned, but, um, who I was coming out to was basically, Hey, I'm not just acknowledging that I'm attracted to men. I am acknowledging that God is affirming me here and not just me. God is affirming queer people here. And that we have read this wrong, that we have misunderstood the scriptures that are being taken out of context to demonize and like marginalize gay people like we've missed it. I don't know how to explain all of that yet. I'm actively researching. I'm convinced at this point, but I don't know how to explain it in a way that's constructive, but I'm on a conviction level, like saying there's nothing wrong with my sexual orientation. I'm embracing this side of myself. And at some point in that process, I was like, I have to start dating dudes. Like it wasn't enough to just talk about this and advocate for it. I had to start like living and embodying it because I was still playing it safe in some way. I was like, I gotta, I gotta move. I gotta move forward. Like, this is not enough. I, you know, I, and I was very aware of like how safe and comfy that closet had been my Mm -hmm. whole life. It was so familiar. Right. It was like, I have to like continue to progress out of the closet. So I tried to date guys while I was in Reading. I didn't find anyone locally. They're either deeply closeted or like, I don't, you know, like parts of the tracks I don't like, I'm not familiar with and don't like, Meet people in those spaces. There were a couple of gay bars that I'd never heard of before that I wasn't willing to go to. Like I was too afraid. Anyway, um, did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So what I hear is that you coming out with saying, Hey, I'm I'm a gay man, I'm attracted to men. It's not going away. I don't think it's a sin. And and also, I ha- I don't have the research enough, but I have this conviction, and is that that's based off those string of experiences, those like Holy Spirit and no. You so
1: had. what I didn't say was I also the moment I started like the moment I recognized what I was experiencing, the way I was behaving as a gay person closeted at Bethel was unacceptable. I immediately ordered Matthew Vines' God and the Gay Christian book, mm-hmm. and then I ordered Torn by Justin Lee. I ordered. Um, Bible gender sexuality by Dr. James Brownson. And so those books came in the mail, I started reading them as soon as they came in just consumed them and then started doing more research on other authors, other books, other voices, other podcast episodes, other episodes, other interviews, just consuming content. Um and just flooded my perspective and awareness with voices who were advocating for queer people, specifically within Christianity. And I was shocked at how many people there were, how well their work was presented, how substantiated it was, how almost awkward and obvious at this point it was that like, we were at the very least evangelicalism was overstepping and biased. And there was an agenda, um, but leaning toward, Oh no, no, it's not just that we're making really weird mistakes here. We're actually like, going or doubling down on harm we're causing to people and trying to convince ourselves and other people that this is right. Um, It was like a a spectrum of like becoming more and more aware of that dynamic. But I just started reading a ton, Kat. Mm -hmm. And so while that was happening, that's when I started recognizing like, oh, it's not just a feeling, it's not just my conviction. Like, I'm not the only one. There are people from other schools of thought within Christianity who are recognizing, you know, Um, And they brought a lot of really good questions I'd never even thought of before, like some other intellectual aspects of this and logic and reason and critical thought and statistics and science are bringing all these other things to the table. I was like, that's a really good question that I literally don't even have an answer to. And it just started becoming obvious, like at Bethel, at least, if not all, I mean, in every church I'd ever been part of, every leadership team I'd ever been part of, like, we never gave this an honest consideration. Mm -hmm. We never genuinely did the work. We never actually looked into this. We only ever did whatever effort it took for us to convince ourselves that we were right. The gay people mm-hmm. were gross and they deserve to go to hell. Like we just did enough to substantiate within the Bible. This is correct. And we accepted that and moved on. We denied human experiences. We, you know, anyway. Um, yeah.
0: Real talk. I have bad BO, like real bad. Left to my own devices. I smell like I am wearing weak old gym clothes and I really wish I was exaggerating. So finding a good deodorant has been a passion of mine for a long time. I've tried so many non-toxic deodorants over the years, but none of them worked. But then I discovered Primally Pure. A friend of mine swore by them and even gave me one of her bottles for free and said, trust me. And she was right. I have now used Primally Pure's deodorant religiously for the past five years, and I don't have to worry about how I smell anymore. My personal favorite of theirs is the charcoal deodorant. And by this point, I've pretty much used every single product that Primally Pure has to offer from their bath soak to body butter. And I'm always incorporating their products into my daily skincare routine. So go to link.primallypure.com slash the refined woman and use code TRW10 to get 10% off your purchase. That's LINK dot com slash the refined woman and get 10% off your purchase with the code TRW10 or simply use the link in the show notes or episode description. And so what were some of the, as you're doing your research, what were some of the things you said, you know, these questions that I hadn't thought about, what were some of those moments where you're like, Oh my gosh, because for me, what I was always taught is it's crystal clear. scriptures, crystal clear Sodom and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, crystal clear Romans (laughs) one. You know, I feel like even I was talking with one of my past, my female pastor friends recently, and she's affirming and she's like, you know, the one passage that's still really hard to get around is Romans one. Um, and so what were some of those moments and questions for you as you're doing your research where you're like, I never thought of that before. I've never heard that question or. Yeah
1: totally man there are so many i won't know i won't go to name a lot of them i'll name some of them right now because they're just not on the forefront of my mind but um one of them was matthew vines in god and the gay christian talks about um some discerning principles that jesus gave us right and how to recognize good or bad fruit a good tree produces good fruit bad tree bad Mm -hmm. fruit and he listed symptoms that queer christians exhibited from being raised in a religious environment being told their sexuality was sinful was an abomination was broken and the symptoms were self harm, you know, suicide, ide- suicide ideation, rejection, depression, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance, disassociating from their own experiences. Like, there was so much negative that came, and I was like. To me, when I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, he's not exaggerating. He's not blowing anything out of proportion. This is literally the experience I went through all of this. That's true. Mm -hmm. And that's all bad fruit. But to be given permission to acknowledge those experiences as bad fruit, not the result of sin in my life, you know, like that the belief was actually the root or the source of where these symptoms were coming from. I was like, that's actually a really good point. Um, When Jesus says, I came to give, um, I came that they would have life and have it more abundantly, right? Like the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. He's like, when we look at the results of gay people in the church, like when they're taught this stuff, the stuff that shows up in their life based on these teachings looks more like what the thief came to do than what Jesus came to do, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, that's that's a really good point, just on a logical level, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. fair. Like he's not bending over backwards. He's not twisting scripture. He's actually taking scripture and applying it to this scenario with a different emphasis than I'd ever been told before. But there's justice here. There's compassion here. Um, The whole like recognizing and valuing human experience is so belittled in evangelicalism, right? And specifically in like systematic theology, experience is such a questionable variable that we don't really rely upon or like treat as valid in a lot of ways. Uh, And so I like continued for most of my theological efforts before I came out to invalidate my own experience that was never substantiation for acknowledging harm or bad results, right? Bad fruit. It was never valid because it was my experience The reason I felt that way, the reason these negative things happened in my life was because of choices I made and because of how I related to sin and my dysfunctional relationship with being attracted to men, not because the stuff I was being taught about myself was causing this stuff, right? Like, I couldn't see that. And I think a lot of gay Christians, queer people being raised in the church, they have the same struggle. Your experience doesn't get to be something that gets held as valid because you were taught your experience is is submitted to the authority of scripture. And by authority of scripture, we actually mean what the leaders want to see in scripture, right? Um, Justin Lee was sharing, uh, he shared a lot of great stuff in his book called Torn. Um, Great arguments, uh, but one of them was, you know, like what I was taught, guys develop an attraction to men because of an overbearing mom and an emotionally absent dad, right? Mm -hmm. Which was my scenario. Um, but he shared a story of when he was at one of these workshops and the speaker shared that it was teaching everyone in the room. Like the reason this happens is because your mom is a helicopter mom and your dad is totally absent and you're like longing for male affection, whatever. And this guy like spoke up to Justin after, cause Justin like rose, raised his hand. and was like, I don't agree with that. I'm gay, but my dad loves me and is very present in my life. My mom has been really great with our boundaries and is like, if anything, I wish she was a little more interested. Like the scenario you're describing doesn't apply to me and I'm gay. And the guy like kind of explained like, oh, it's whatever else. You just need to get deeper into your relationship with your dad. You're just missing some trauma and whatever. And so the guy in front of him after that that little lecture, he turned around. And he's like, I'm glad you said something because here's the deal. Everything he described is true for me. Like my mom is overbearing and super involved in my life. My dad is super absent, but I'm straight. Mm. And Justin's like, what's what are we talking about? Like how is this being taught? Like it's some kind of, you know, psychological fact like that this is what's happening. But that is what I was taught for years. I was taught the reason I'm gay is because my dad – is distant and absent from my life. And in a lot of ways, emotionally, my, that's true. And my mom was absolutely way more involved in my life than I wanted her to be emotionally in a lot of ways. So like, I thought, oh, the reason I'm gay is because my parents broke me. Right. And, but when you look at the statistics and you actually, have, anyway, that's not true. It's not valid. It doesn't hold up. There are lots of other ones. <laughs> anyway, do you want me to find more, cat?
0: No, no, that's okay. good. Yeah. I just was, I'm always just curious about the details of it.
1: Um,
0: okay. So you started coming out to your network of people at Bethel. It sounds like you were still doing like your, your work was like largely connected to them still at that point. I mean, you had Numa, your coaching Mm -hmm. business. And so, um, yeah, I, what I'm curious about is, you know, you said those conversations didn't go very well, but what was like the fruition of that? And, did your business suffer? And I also know you made a cross country move during that time. So what pick up the story after you started talking to Bethel leadership?
1: Yeah. So we'll, we'll bookend the story of like conversations with leaders with that same guy who kicked me out of school. I sat him down. We're having this is like the last time I talked to him. I was like, Hey, here's the deal. They're going on this journey, blah, blah, blah. Um, I can't keep pretending like God isn't saying this to me anymore. Like I literally am responding to this because of how I was trained here at Bethel, the irony of all this. Right. But like, God, I'm convinced God is affirming me as a gay person that, that God wants me to be this way. And I have to seek this out. I have to follow what I'm experiencing from God here, blah, blah, blah. I have, there's a lot of really great work out there that I've been looking into that I'd love to discuss. And he was like, Hey, well, you know, I'd be happy to talk about it as long as you give me some time to prepare and like come back to you with like, you know, this is not something I think about a lot whatever. I'm like, great, we could do that. Um, he's like, well, Mike, here's the deal. Uh, God loves gay people just like anyone else, right? They're going to heaven, whatever. Uh, the moment you decide to pursue a, a man sexually or romantically, you're not following Jesus anymore. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, and we're done. Like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not subjecting myself to you. I'm not listening to you. I'm not heard by you. I've, I've experienced this dynamic, not just from this person, but from virtually every leader, like high up leader at Bethel that I've had conversations with, it's not a conversation. They let you talk until you're done. And then they tell you how this is supposed to go. And then you figure out how to agree with and make do with what they told you repeatedly. That's copy and paste every conversation I've had with higher up leaders at Bethel. And I realize in this instance, like I cannot do that anymore. I can't go back to being that closeted hypocrite who is benefiting off the backs of queer people who are being like, dehumanized and marginalized and oppressed by this toxic version of the gospel like i can't do it I'm not doing this so that was like a moment for me i was like we are done i didn't say that outright but like i felt it happen mm-hmm. um and then never talked to him again i reached out a couple times to get to find a meeting but the pandemic and whatever we just never actually made it happen and then i just needed to get out um i went and talked to the two people who lead the changed ministry out of bethel which is the conversion therapy ex-gay they would say it in a different way um i know them both personally they're actually both really cool people i like them as individuals um you know it's like so f- confusing and frustrating to have to navigate this stuff but when it comes to the theology like it was toxic for both of them like yeah no i you know weighed out stuff they were saying and shared things i was seeing and i also walked away from both these experiences a couple conversations with a few of them like deeply grieved like just such sadness i'm like I don't think that you're happy. I don't think you found the answer. I don't think that you're leading anybody into freedom. I don't think you're free. I don't think this is a good, this is good news. You know, it was just like, so sad. I'm like, it sucks that people are listening to you and that you're giving them this and you're all just like creating an ecosystem to be miserable together. And like, ex- anyway, like that was so frustrating and sad. Cause I thought maybe we could collaborate and I could send people their way who wanted that. And then they could send people my way who wanted out. But mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, we can't partner together. And I was like, Oh, that was really quick. Okay. Wow. So we're not trying to help people. We're trying to like further this agenda. Like we're only going to help people who want what we're going to give them. Right. That was super sad and painful. Um, so after enough of these conversations, I was like, I'm not safe here. Like I don't feel safe in Reading. I don't want to be around these people. I don't want to see Bethel people. Like the, the indoctrination just runs deep, the echo chamber, you know, like it's just so, Homogenistic in the way they think about the Bible and spirituality and whatever. I was like, ew, and I'm starting to become more and more disagreeable with so much of what we value here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got to get out of here because like, there's so much more to this process and me coming out than I've been able to walk out, and I don't think I'm going to be able to do that successfully without a ton of backlash, you know, public humiliation and shame, a lot of conflict. I'm going to be a huge like thorn in their side of these people because a lot of people were listening to me and watching me, you know, there I was like, I got to get out of here. I don't want to fight. I'm not trying to make a big mess. I just want to go f- like walk out what this freedom looks like for me. So I knew I had to leave to start doing some research and found Stan Mitchell in that process, who is in Nashville and his voice of any of the people who was doing, who were doing like queer affirming theology and inclusive work in churches he stood out to me. I was like, who is this guy? Where did you learn this stuff? How did you learn to think this way? He it was, he's brilliant. He's, br- and to this day I'm still like, this guy's brilliant. So I got connected with him thankfully through some friends and we got to talk a few times and I was like, Stan, I'm going to move out. I'm going to move out here. I need to get around you. I need to keep talking to you. He's like, great. So I did and we did. And he was instrumental in my ability to, I think, holistically step out of my evangelical identity and like needing that support base and that community to define and validate my existence. Like Stan nursed me out of that dependency and allowed, like gave me space and validation and support to think outside of it and find newer, different answers, better. I would say answers, more truth, you know, more humanizing, compassionate, um, love driven, answers for who God actually is in the world and what the Bible is actually for and who these people were talking to and what they were saying. Like, anyway, that was a lot of work, obviously. Some, I mean, we're skipping so much, like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of research Mm -hmm. and dialogue and crying. And like, my team is becoming affirming in this process and we're having all these allyship dialogue and struggling and fighting like you know i've cried so much i cried so much in that period of time specifically because people close to me were hurting me and they didn't even know how or why and i had to like start finding a better way to advocate for my own humanity I'm like do you realize when you said this to me when you framed that conversation that stance that perspective in that way do you realize you effectively silenced erased my experience my identity you marginalized me you put me out here you othered me and they're like uh, and they didn't want to be doing that right and so you know it's like how do i confront and like walk them through this stuff without scaring them and making them like incapable of asking questions or, you know? And so we got to work that out and it wasn't clean, but it was honest and it was authentic and there was love on both sides. And we continued to choose each other as we went. And, you know, like my team became all of them became affirming and it was a struggle and they didn't all become affirming at once. It was like a journey for each of them as they went, you know, but I was very clear, like, you don't have to end up here. I just want you to know, like, if you decide gay people are an abomination, if you decide whatever, you know, all this like anti-gay stuff, um I'm not going to be okay with that. I'm not going to permit that in my environment. I won't be okay with that being around me, right? They knew that. I was just not trying to coerce or like threaten anyone. I just wanted them to be up, I wanted to be upfront like I'm not negotiating with my humanity anymore. Mm-hmm. My well-being is no longer up for debate. Like that's not discussion. That's not a discussion, right? And Christians don't get that. Your humanity, your well-being is up for debate in their theology. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's a problem. That's an ethically bankrupt place to be. Anyway, so we moved to Nashville, and I've been here for a year and a half. And um, and then I came out publicly like a little over a year ago, and that was a whole other level of engagement, right? Like, <laughs> anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I watched your your video came out last February. Was it nine? Is it ninety minutes long?
1: Yeah, it's
0: ninety oh, minutes it's long. An hour. It's An hour. An hour. Yeah. So we'll link it in the notes because it's yeah. and I've shared it multiple times on my platform. Yeah, you have.
1: Thank you. You've
0: shared so much on this on this call, but there's, there's more details over there. Um, and it's an important video to watch, especially Mm. if you grew up in Christian culture. Like I was like, I felt like for the longest time, the, my dirty little secret about what I actually believed was that being gay was wrong and it was a sin. And it was such a problem for me because many of my close friends identified as gay and, Uh, I, it was just like, ask me about anything but this, you know? And for me, my journey of becoming affirming was the journey of researching sexuality for my book for six years. The more I researched about my quote unquote virginity, the more and the more I realized, oh my gosh, like the church is obsessed with sex and the church is like demonizing sexuality. It was like, the more I started seeing, like, wow, like, we have quite the agenda here with sexuality, and I couldn't deny, I cu- I couldn't deny that. No, no longer after doing my own research, could I say the scriptures crystal clear about homosexuality, and I remember, and I don't think I've shared this with you, but I had signed my book deal. So I signed my book deal in like 2020, I think, or signed my book deal in 2019. And it was like around 2020 where I was like mid-pandemic, I'm reading all these books, I'm writing my draft, and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm affirming now. <laughs> and I felt like I couldn't be public about it yeah. until my book came out. And I remember talking like with my agent and some of my team of being like, hey, like, I'm thinking I'm like changing on some of this stuff. And they're like, you can't talk about this publicly. Like, and and I kept quiet and I look back now and I'm like, man, what a privileged, selfish thing for me to do because I was, what I wanted is I was like, I just want people to hear this message. And if they find this thing out about me, then, then I've lost all credibility for them. They won't even listen. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, 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 jokes on me because by the time my book came out I was discredited anyways <laughs> because I came out as like pro choice and mm. voting democrat and black lives matter and so my book came out and right when my book came out I had lost you know all my all my speaking gigs had reneged uh. and you know I also I had talked about masturbation and pleasure not being a sin in my book. So that got me canceled. And so my book came out and I was like, everyone, just so you know, I also love gay people. (laughs) And then it was like, well, now I'm real. Everything's gone to shit. Like, no, no one trusts me. Um, But I I say that like heartily. But I also like say that with grief of like, I regret keeping that inside to protect my own financial gain, Mm. essentially. Um, that grieves me mm. and I want to like do and be better, um, mm. now Same. and in the future, you no. know, totally. um, and, you know, I hear people say, you know, we do the best we can with what we have. And that which I don't always think is true. We don't always do our best, <laughs> you know, like people are like, right. you know, your parents are just giving their best sometimes. And it's also okay to say, sometimes I wasn't giving my best. Sometimes I was self-preserving, but hopefully, we do the best we can do with the information we had at the time, and then when we gain new information, we can course correct yeah. um so in light of that, you know you've you've come out in the last year, and your whole business has changed, your whole platform has changed. Where are you at now?
1: Yeah, so you asked the question I didn't answer. It did. Coming out as a gay person, but also as an affirming organization and defending the queer community and saying you're valid in the eyes of me and my team and this whole organization, we are going to protect you, we're going to defend you, we're going to uphold you, we're going to equitably prioritize your well-being in the work that we do. Um, That was really expensive. I lost thousands of followers and subscribers and a bunch of you know clients or whatever, like overnight in some of that. And it wasn't as dramatic as I was bracing myself for. It did happen and it did suck. Within 24 hours of that video, all of my speaking gigs for the rest of the year were canceled. They called me, texted me, whatever, just we were done. I was like, (laughs) God, I knew that was going to happen, but it was painful to have to like have those conversations, listen to the compromising, you know, justification these pastors were giving me just so sincere. And well, mm-hmm. meeting, and they loved me. And you're not coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is weird. Your love like burns. What's this? Um. Anyway. Uh. So through that process, because I hadn't deconstructed a ton yet, I deconstructed a lot at that point. But I was definitely not vocal or public about a lot of this. That next year, my team was affirming, but we just started doing more deconstruction and confronting misogyny and patriarchy within Christianity and the Bible, right? And um, literalism and hell and. Purity culture, like all this stuff, we started pulling it apart. And, like, anyway, our beliefs changed pretty dram- dramatically, like on a fundamental level. And Christianity started to look like something very different than the one we were raised to believe was what we were participating in. It was so jarring to go on that journey. So, over that year, as I kept becoming more vocal and like <laughs> expressive about the things I don't believe in anymore, things I can't support, things I actually think are toxic and harmful and dehumanizing about orthodoxy, I'm like, this isn't okay. This is not true. This is not whatever. Um, yeah, like the, the clientele just kept dropping off and the following just kept d- mm. diminishing. And it's like really awkward. Cause like, you know, Kat, you and I both, like I've assembled some people who are thought leaders and content creators and whatever. And we get together every once in a while. And I watch as these different voices and their platforms continue to grow. And my platform has just continued to shrink since the coming out process. Right. And I'm like, this is so awkward and ironic. I'm the one gathering these people and I'm the one probably performing the poorest of all of us. You know, it's like this thing that I have to like work through. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I don't regret anything, but it's just awkward to watch like economically and statistically. The numbers, like, kind of be punishy, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also indicative of the kind of people that were following me and the message that I was giving for a while before this, right? So I'm actually in a weird part of my career right now with like, what am I doing? How do I, Mm -hmm. you know, how do I keep paying my team and keep my lights on whilst remaining faithful to my conviction and my beliefs and the the advocacy work that I want to be doing? Like, how do we, you know, and we've obviously talked about that a few times, but. Yeah. It's been like, if we've taken a hit and it's been like a hit that's just continued to like have diminishing returns Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout the year. So we're working through that, but yeah.
0: Yeah. And I guess what I'm so curious about who you are and your story is why and how have you stayed in a place where you can affirm, I believe in God Mm. And, and even I can take it a step further. I don't know if you identify as a Christian anymore, <laughs> um, you Love know, but like, I mean that identifying as Christian is really hard for me yeah. at this point because of all the baggage that comes with it in 2023 Christian white nationalism, white supremacy, uh, homophobia, all the things, but you know, I, I couldn't help but hearing it from like the very beginning of your story as, and and knowing you as a a friend, I feel like what I know about you, what is so true about who you are is you do have this genuine heart for the divine. And even when I hear you remaining at Bethel after they dismissed your existence as a human, (laughs) and then you still remained because you wanted to give back to this ministry that did so much for you. I just hear Like, I hear so much humility in that. I, I, you know, I hear just so many things and I'm like, how are you standing on two feet right now, still affirming the existence, existence of God and, Mm. and holding space in a, a, in a pretty Christian environment, even though it's progressive, like why, why?
1: (laughs) Wow. Thanks Kat. I'm getting emotional. Wow. Oh, um, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that. I... I think because like from a pretty young age, like 18, I became aware, I wasn't trying to realize this, but I became pretty aware God and the church are not the same thing. God and theology are not the same thing. God and my pastor, God and Christianity, they're not the same. And they don't have authority over God. They don't have like the corner market or whatever. I knew that from a pretty fundamental level at a young age because of the experiences that I had had with God. And especially the second time I encountered God, it was so overtly anti-Orthodoxy. I was like, oh, whoa, we really are missing it on on some stuff. But I didn't trust myself to do the work of like proving that. I just accepted it. Like they don't have authority over God. These people don't get to define who God is. A lot of these people don't know what they're talking about. And that's okay. Like there's so much good going on here. I'm going to still participate. So I think that separation was there from a pretty, from the onset of these experiences. But I think a big Part of why I'm still a firm believer in not just the existence of God, but the nature of God and God toward me and then God toward us, like without policing my language and trying to cater to anyone in particular, I'm just going to express you know freely here. God was the first person to advocate for my sexuality. Mm. God was the first person to call me out of the closet, the first person to affirm me for who I was, the way I was. God is the reason I came out. You know what I mean? Like it was it was God. It wasn't any one person. It wasn't any person around me. It was God within me that continued to represent. And don't get me wrong. There were definitely people along the way who contributed, who like played their parts, whether they meant to or not. But underneath all of this, there was this deep, firm, present voice that affirmed me as a gay man, continued to affectionately like validate who I was Mm. and like is the voice that made me uncomfortable denying my own humanity and was like you like this no it's Mm. you like this you like this don't you dare hide that change that fight that you like this it was like that repeatedly Mm. lots of tears lots of pain because I you know so much of my own internalized homo heterosexism Mm. was fighting the affirmation that was coming from Mr. Divine Mrs. Divine Mm you know god within me um so here's the crazy thing like throughout all of my deconstruction and the academics and intellectualism that i embrace and like celebrate critical thought <laughs> i think there's a lot of bigotry in christianity a lot of superstition in religion you know which was helpful at some point and that now i think isn't appropriate but the beauty and the nature of god I don't know how to like deny. I don't have enough intellectual prowess Mm -hmm. and information or research or proof to erase or invalidate the effectual love and presence that I've experienced from God. And then the literal freedom that it has produced in my life, not just as a gay person, although obviously that's a huge, like loud one, but also even my capacity to love people and like witness their humanity and the level of compassion and empathy I'm able to experience like that was there, but God, I, in my experience, like God unlocked some stuff in me and allowed me to connect to and embrace some of that in ways that I hadn't been able to. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's the, the personal subjective experiences I've had with this person. I acknowledge God as a person that like, I can't let that go. And not cause I have to hold on. I don't feel beholden to the idea of God. I don't need to ever say the name, the word God again in my life. And that doesn't change my relationship with God. <laughs> And I don't need people to acknowledge God the way I do or know God that way. I don't need them to. Um, but, man, I sure hope they could. They could experience God like this because the God I know is not oppressive, is not abusive, is not coercive, is not tyrannical, is not a dictator. The God I know is the most profoundly humble, kind, innocent advocate I've ever known. The, be- the most beautiful ally I've ever experienced. The God I know loves us. Mm. prioritizes and cares for those of us who have been beaten down and dismissed and invalidated. Like, and I think everyone wants to know that, wants to know love like that, you know? So if it's God or if they experience God through other, whatever, I don't care. It's, it's fine. i like, <sighs> that's real in my life. So, um, I, I have to honor it and then mm-hmm. hopefully like demonstrate that honor and how I continue to represent the stuff like, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. And in that, would you self-identify as a Christian at this point? That's
1: a good que- question. It depends. I think, yes, depending on the scenario. And then other or, times easily not. Yeah. Um, and the reason I'm willing, I'm like, want to hold on to it. It's funny. I've like had this conversation with a few different totally, you know, thought leaders like, God, I don't You know what? I just don't want to be a Christian anymore. I don't want to mm-hmm. keep. And I'm like, I get it. I also, there was like months there were like, I was like, I don't, I don't think I can call myself a Christian. I so am opposed to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: like the bigoted white Christian nationalists, you know, anti-gay, racist, whatever version of evangelicalism is not Christianity. It is a cult sect of Christianity. It is a weird, you know, pocket. It's not the whole. It's not the definition. It's not the policing, gatekeeping, it's not the authoritative version. So in that sense, if we all understand that, I have no problem identifying as a Christian. I think mm-hmm. the, the work of Jesus and the nature of what we acknowledge as Christ in the Bible is valid and beautiful and worth engaging with. I don't think anyone should be compelled to embrace those things. But I think the people who experience and like value what's coming there for them should walk that out with humility and like authenticity. And then there should be good fruit that comes out of that if it's real so in that sense i'm like man i'm happy to identify as a christian Mm -hmm. because those people those bullies those spoiled brats don't get to define what christianity is it's not theirs um the other reason i feel compelled to like maintain the title and also the space like within that conversation is because there's so many other victims like me who without voices like ours you know what are they going to do how are they going to find their way out of such a an echo chamber indoctrinating culture, you know, like mm. I care about those kids. I am thankful for the voices that somehow broke into my world and like contributed when I was ready for them to my transformation. Like I want to fight for those kids, those poor victims who deserve better than how they're being raised and treated. And mm. their autonomy is not being respected and they are being coerced and violated mm. um, and indoctrinated to accept and believe things that are harmful to them, especially the queer kids, you know, So I think those are two big reasons for me. I'm like, yeah, you don't get to take this away from me. That's not yours. You don't Mm -hmm. have the authority over that. And then also, like, yeah, I care about the people you're going to continue to harm. Like, they deserve uh, advocacy and liberation from your oppressive, harmful beliefs. So Mm -hmm. uh, in that way, I think in good conscience, I'm like, no, I can still identify as a Christian and like feel really good about that. You know. And in other ways, I'm like, yeah, I can throw the whole thing away. I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever. You know. (laughs) So it depends.
0: Yeah, I'm just sitting with like receiving what you shared and just, you know, thinking about, you know, the, my own struggles with Christianity and identifying. And as you were sharing, what came up for me was this podcast I listened to years ago on the liturgists with Rachel Held Evans, and they did this whole series of like, why are you still a Christian? And she basically said, she said something along the lines, you know, in the last few years, I researched a lot. I've, I've found beautiful truth in Buddhism and uh, mindset and all these different beliefs. And there's like beautiful truth in, in all of those things. But my mother tongue will always be Christianity. It's my, it's the first language I learned. Mm. And so when I stub my toe or get hurt or I'm in grief, like my knee jerk reaction, the best language I know for that is the Jesus language. Mm. And that really resonated with me. And then what also resonated about what she said is it's no one's business to tell me who I am or who I am not, Mm -hmm. or to test my orthodoxy or to test my relationship with Jesus. If I believe I'm a follower of Jesus, like at the Jesus story still feels compelling to me. If it's still my mother tongue, then like I get to be okay with that period, the end Mm. without having to have a stack of evidence to prove my membership to the country club. Mm. Um, and so as you're sharing that, I just, I see so much, so much beauty and honesty and, and what you're sharing. Um, and yeah, and even just kind of to land the plane, you, you just mentioned wanting to be a space or be a voice or access point for queer kids who are in the closet or are still being oppressed. And so I just would just want to ask you, like, what do you wish, what do you wish, like your younger self knew? What What oh. do you wish like 10 year old and 15 year old Mike knew? Uh,
1: yeah. Firstly, I would say, I mean, he's, he's going to learn this eventually if the time, if things go the way they go, but Like, hey, God loves you as a gay kid. God loves that Mm. you're gay. God loves you as a gay kid. You just need to know that, Mm. you know? Um, These adults that you look up to and respect, they don't know everything. They act like they do. They want you to think they do. They're insecure about some of this, but they don't know everything. There's a lot of stuff they actually don't know. They're not allowed to know. They don't get to be certain about. So don't hold all of this certainty that they give you as like gospel truth. It's not that. It's Mm. their best guess. It's the best they've come up with at this point um there are so many other people out there like you you are not alone you're not unique in this actually um there's so many other gay kids so many other people going through christianity who actually value authenticity over acceptance they value the real deal over fitting in and like just belonging like you're not alone in that i would say to him you're not gonna get any closer to god than you already are Mm. because you're never gonna get any further away from god either like you can't be separate from God. So you don't need to like work for this. Uh, Yeah. And then like anything else I'd say for me was going to like be like tangents off of those things, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think the isolation, the like authoritative certainty that the big people in my life had and like the internalized homophobia I was indoctrinated to have were deeply harmful and like restrictive for my well-being. And if Mike simply knew better than that, man, yeah, my life would have gone so different in like beautiful ways. I'm not regretful, but man, I had had to work through a lot of stuff because of what those beliefs like did to me, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And here we are today.
1: (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) And
0: here we are today. Well, thanks so much yeah. for sharing your heart. Thanks. For can I me. can I ask one clarifying question? Just because yeah. I want to make sure this is clear for sure. folks. Yeah. At the beginning, I <laughs> said we would cover what is side B side B theology, and I kind of ran through it like yeah. in a 10-second blurb. Yeah. Can you maybe just like define that sure. for folks? Because totally. uh, you said side X side B. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, you you did a job. Side B is basically like, hey. We acknowledge that your sexual orientation, you were, you're gay. For whatever reason, you didn't choose this. It's natural for you. We acknowledge that, right? You don't have to change this to be accepted or be part of the body of Christ. Side B, though, right, where it's like, hey, that's true. However, any kind of action or like pursuit in that's influenced by homosexuality is a sin still. You don't get to pursue anybody romantically or sexually, you know, if they're the same sex as you. So your options are basically enter into a mixed orientation marriage. You marry somebody of the opposite sex, because that's the form of marriage that God will accept, or you be celibate for the rest of your life. And most of you, because your orientation won't change, celibacy is going to be the mandated thing here. Another question that um, Matthew Vines raised that I thought was really valid Mm -hmm. and helpful was like, he was like, how are you allowed to mandate a gift that Paul and Jesus both are the only ones who spoke about this? They talk about, talked about it as a gift, mm-hmm. as if something, it's something we don't have control over, that either God apportions to someone or doesn't. How do you mandate a gift to a whole people group mm-hmm. when they have, they have no control over whether they are given that, gra- that grace or not? Right? I was like, that's a really good point. Why has that not come up? Right? Anyway, so side B theology is mandating celibacy or a mixed orientation marriage for people. And by the way, celibacy is super harmful for people who don't want to choose that, right? Uh, mixed orientation marriage. You're creating more than just one victim in that scenario. You're gonna mm. like that spouse that marries somebody, and then the kids. Like, you're creating all kinds of other pain and dysfunction yeah. from putting a queer person into that s- position. Um, that's side B, and I, I don't know if it's clear, but I yeah. wholeheartedly renounce and like despise that whole idea. It's a different closet for queer people. Yeah. It's gross. It, yeah. I hate it.
0: Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. And then what can be so I think confusing for so many people is a lot of churches kind of gatekeep where they really stand. And there's a phrase that I've been seeing more and more that basically is saying side B. And it's this phrase you might have to correct me if you remember it, but it's we hold the historical Christian ethic on marriage or it's something along do you it's know what i'm ethic,
1: talking a traditional sex, sexual uh, ethic uh, we
0: we we uh, we affirm the historical the historical christian sexual ethic in the bible yeah. or something where it's like so what are you actually saying? And I, I feel like the, it's the historical sexual ethic thing is how uh, people like oppressed Preston Sprinkles is describing sexual ethic. A lot of like reformed churches. It's like that side B theology. It's like, you can come you're w- welcome home. Welcome to the family, but, and you can be gay and you can be in a same sex relationship. But if you want to do anything at this church, <laughs> anything in this community, if you want to volunteer, any sort of leadership it has to be celibacy a commitment to celibacy for life mm. and i I just wish churches were this is a whole other tangent um that whatever I'm just gonna say it I just I'm like if you believe being gay is a sin, out with it, yeah, none of the bait and switch. it's mm-hmm. not fair right like it's not fair. Just be honest with what you believe. Bethel, if you believe that like being the, the existence of same sex attraction is demonic and a sin in existence, you need to lead with that. Mm. It's not fair. It is really not fair. I makes mean, it it just makes me so upset, which I know it makes, I can only imagine it makes you very upset <laughs> as well. Um, so I, th- I think it was important for us to kind of define like yeah. what is side B and mm-hmm. what is um, like, what does it mean to have a historical Christian sexual ethic? And that's what they're saying when they say that, yeah. um, because I have a lot of people in my community who are like, well, I don't know what church to go to. And a lot of friends who go to non-affirming churches, and this was me for a long time, even when I was affirming, I stayed at my non-affirming church because it wasn't harming me. Right, and the prayer ministry was amazing, and God was doing amazing things <laughs> and revival was happening yeah. and I finally was like, if this isn't a safe place for all people, it's actually not a safe place for people period and yeah. I can't go here
1: yes, thank you Kate.
0: um so thank you for letting us have a little thank you for clearly defining that and yeah, yeah thank you for your friendship and your heart and giving <laughs> Uh, so much of your time today. Yeah,
1: totally. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored to have been able to share. And yeah, Kat, thank you for all of what you just shared. 100 agree. Totally. So good. Thanks for Kat. Thanks for doing this. I love that you've come out publicly.
0: Yeah. Out of
1: the closet, supporting humanity. Right in the full spectrum of what we're yeah. capable of being in the world. Thank you. Yeah.
0: You're welcome. As as I record my podcast in the closet. <laughs> so much. So many metaphors. All right, friend. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. <laughs>